iHeart Spencer Golf. Coming up, alcohol restrictions are coming in strong for an outback town and we'll dive into the jetty situation in Tumby Bay. Hi, I'm Jackie Lim with iHeart Spencer Golf, your weekly local news wrap for the Spencer Golf and surrounds. But first, in preparation for an anticipated hot and dry bushfire season, a new aerial firefighting fleet has been assembled. Our journo, Ali Hall, has more. Thanks, Jack. At 31 Aircraft, this will be the state's largest ever air firefighting fleet. It features the addition of five new appliances from the previous year, including two Black Hawk helicopters. Manager of State Aviation Operations for the CFS, Nick Stanley, says the $26.7 million investment will bolster the state's fire defence capabilities. Every year we assess what we've done in years previous and our contracts are based on a five-year cycle, so contracts are due for renewal. So we put together a plan of what we thought we needed across our state to enhance our capability and we presented that to government and government were able to give us the additional funding so having those five additional aircraft gives us better strategic ability to move aircraft across the state and to enhance our capability for firefighting right across the whole state. Additional aircraft will be stationed on the Air Peninsula and Mid-North to protect vital industries and communities. We pre-position aircraft yearly in Port Lincoln to support the ground crews across the Lower Air Peninsula and parts of the Eastern Air Peninsula as well. We found in years past that fires run hard due to the type of vegetation around Port Lincoln, that upper part of the Air Peninsula as well. So getting aircraft in to knock the intensity out of those fires and to hold them in place so ground crews can get in and extinguish them is fairly valuable. The expanded fleet now also enables live streaming of aerial intelligence, which empowers real-time fire assessments and decision-making. But despite the additional firefighting equipment this year, Nick left us with one last piece of advice. People really need to have a five-minute bushfire survival plan. Know that plan. Make sure that your family knows it and your neighbours as well and practice it regularly. After some positive reports about the effect alcohol restrictions are having in Port Augusta, another outback town is clamping down harder on their restrictions. Our journalist Alex Newman has the update. Thanks, Jackie. In response to ongoing concerns over antisocial behaviour linked to excessive alcohol consumption, Kubapedi has initiated a three-month trial for stricter liquor restrictions on top of their current restrictions. Liquor and Gambling Commissioner Dini Sulio talks about the additional restrictions in place. A person can only purchase uh, once per day, so um, while there was limits on the amount that people could buy per person per day, what um, we've now introduced is a restriction that says that you can only have one transaction per person per day. So that means you can go in once, you can buy the, the limit, but you can't, you can't keep coming back in. And this is done with the support of the, of the licensees in the area. And what the feedback we were getting is that people were um, going into bottle shops a number of times during the course of the day and buying for other people and effect- effectively um, making money from people who were either barred or, or weren't able to purchase because of their, the restrictions that were in place. These measures, modelled after successful strategies in Seduna, are aiming to address issues like intoxication by lunchtime. It's been in place in 
in Sejuna for about six months or so now, and um, certainly the feedback we've had is that it has reduced that secondary supply of alcohol issue that we were seeing there. There's less people being able to come in and buy for other people and, and effectively um, make money off people who are struggling with alcohol issues. The trial seeks to evaluate the impact and gather feedback from stakeholders before deciding on the next steps in February. The other change that came into effect in Kupapiti is that bottle shops can't open before midday to try and address some of the issues of people purchasing alcohol um, earlier in the day and then help services not having an opportunity to engage with people early. So that is a more significant impact I appreciate, but um, certainly I'm very grateful to the bottle shop operators in Kupapiti for working with the community and with the help services and the police to try something and to, to address some of the harms associated with excessive consumption of alcohol. Last week we celebrated the reopening of the Port Lincoln jetty. Great news for Lincoln. But just down the road, Tumby Bay jetty is still closed. Sam Talbot has more. Earlier this year, the state government made an effort to start work on SA's jetties. They budgeted a fund of up to $20 million over four years to restore them, but it looks like that figure will actually be about $10 million. Since the fund was announced, Tumby Bay Council have been in constant talks with the state government and the council's CEO, Rebecca Hayes, says she's finalising an application she's putting together for the Department of Infrastructure and Transport to get access to some of that money. Rebecca and the council, along with consultants, will be submitting their plans to either rebuild or refurbish the jetty next week. Of course, though, there's a lot of red tape to get through and it's also competitive. The $10 million up for grabs is for the whole state, so lots of councils will be interested in getting a slice of it for themselves. We'll find out if the application is successful next year between January and March, but even if the grant is successful, it probably won't be nearly enough. An off-the-record source has told me a like-for-like rebuild of the jetty will cost up to $20 million. Now, the Tumby Bay Council makes about $5 million a year in rates, so the numbers don't really even come close. Basically... It's going to take major government intervention to get the jetty in Tumby Bay sorted out. There's some finger pointing about whether maintenance or storm damage or something else is to blame for the current predicament of Tumby Bay's jetty, but the reality is, whatever caused it, it'll take a long-term fix. We're going to keep following this story as it develops, and we'll bring you more as we find out. Most likely, that's going to be in early next year. I heart Spencer Golf. Cape Hardy has been announced as the preferred option for the brand new Northern Water Supply Project. After AMP Energy confirmed their intentions to build a hydrogen facility at Cape Hardy, the Chief Executive at Infrastructure SA, Jeremy Conway, explained the location was also added to the shortlist back in September. Yeah, that's definitely a interesting strategic option, which we've uh, incorporated into our shortlist now. So going through our process to ultimately identify the preferred site, but the site that's seen to have some strategic values so and mer- uh, meritorious of consideration. The water will be used to supply climate-independent water to Woomera and Roxby Downs and support the economic growth of the state through major projects and growth of emerging industries like green energy and hydrogen. I caught up with Mr Conway again this week to find out how things have progressed in the last few months. So we've gone through our process done some uh, reassessment of options, done some more uh, community engagement, and uh, that has shown that, to be honest, the things that made Malakwana the 
preferred site previously, uh, probably even stronger with Cape Hardy. And so we've decided now that that is the site that we are concentrating our further studies on going forward. It's not necessarily that the final decision has been made yet. That's still some time away, but um, it's inefficient to carry on studies on multiple sites for an extended period of time. So we're focusing our studies on Cape Hardy now. So there was a bit of community unrest, I suppose, with Malakwana. Um, have you found that that isn't the case with Cape Hardy, being that there will be a hydrogen facility potentially there as well? Is that, you know, it's all going to be bundled in together bit happier for everyone? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think desales, wherever they're located, will, will provoke some community interest, which is important for us to acknowledge and understand. Cape Hardy is a bit further down the Gulf, a bit further away from some of the sensitive uh, receivers, closer to uh, open ocean water. And so overall, it seems to have been a pretty positive response from the community around the ability for Cape Hardy to be able to support a desal plant there and, and obviously with the broader ambitions for the growing hydrogen industry there, there's a fair amount of synergies. Yeah, so it's moving away from the current um, systems for Woomera and Roxby Downs in particular and moving to this more independent water system. Uh, yeah, yeah. So Woomera is almost exclusively supplied by River Murray water and so obviously with concerns for future droughts, El Nino starting again, it's it's good to build some resilience into that. And so having a climate independent source of water helps provide that additional resilience for those communities in, in those northern regions of the state. When would this start to be, you know, coming to fruition? We'll uh, progressively go through some of the studies in terms of uh, development application, EPBC, uh, environmental Commonwealth approvals, but that will have to go through works. Obviously very important to us that we do a very rigorous process on that and be some further stakeholder engagement through those processes. We're probably looking for the final investment decision towards the end of 2025. Aim is to have first water by the end of 2028. So there'll be a community consultation at some point? Once the formal development application process, there's a lot of formal engagement through that. We'll continue to update our Your Say site uh, with information as well. Intrepid travellers, take note, Rumi on Louth is coming. And to wet your whistle, the prelude to the luxury resort, Rumi Reveal, officially launched late last week. Our reporter Ali Hall has the full story. A world of wild indulgence awaits on Louth Island with stage one of South Australia's first luxury eco-resort on a private island, Rumi Reveal. Once an untamed sheep farm established in 1802, Louth Island is situated just 10 minutes off the coast of Port Lincoln. Following his childhood dream to own an island, entrepreneur Che Metcalf is now spearheading the $50 million exclusive island utopia and restoration project. The first stage, Rumi Reveal, will include immersive experiences during the day, with kayaking and fishing tours to luxurious overnight stays and six-course degustation menus at the on-site restaurant. Resort manager Jane Kelly says the recent launch gives a good taste of what's to come. The project's been broken down into two stages. Rumi will be the full Rumi experience, which we're anticipating in the next 12 to 18 months, which will encompass 27 villas, a second restaurant, more walking trails, yoga meditation platforms, observatories and lots more experiences. But what we're doing is we thought we'd do stage one, which is called Rumi Reveal. And that's just a real taste of what's to come in the future. She says they're proud of their sustainability efforts. 
really important to us. We're um, we're 100 off grid. Most people in their households have got you know 11 or 20 uh, you know kilowatt. We've we've got a megawatt of solar. It feels so great to turn a light switch on and know that you're not doing anything or you know causing any issues. We've also got a desal plant. We'll be operating composting systems. We've got wastewater management systems so that you know everything's being put back into the irrigation to help with the restoration of the island. The list goes on and on, and it's something we're really proud of. The final official opening is slated for 2025. And finally today, it seems regional cinema owners are still struggling post-COVID. SA operators have reported audiences are still down and there are concerns that Hollywood strikes will continue to cause pain. Our reporter Sam Talbot has more. Michelle Coles is the owner-operator of Cinema Augusta and Kadena Cinema. I asked her how business was going and here's how she put it. Terrible. Absolutely awful. We're all praying and hoping that Wonka's got five stars and we're hoping that that might pull us out and help us. But it would take a long time for cinemas to recover from this because we've not only had COVID, we'd have the writer's strike. And then, of course, you know, so we haven't had any movies during COVID. They weren't producing movies and then the writer's strike, so then they weren't releasing movies. We've just gone from one bad thing to another bad thing to another bad thing. She says the cinema in Port Augusta is genuinely at risk of closing despite help from the council, while the cinema in Kadena is on life support and there's not much hope in sight. She puts the blame on a drop in movie quality, a lack of movies thanks to the writer's strike in the US, movies that go for too long and a general disinterest in Aussie-made movies. We make amazing movies in Australia. Our Australian movies are great, but people don't come and see them. We've got a comedy coming up this weekend called Savage Christmas, which is about the Savage family. I've seen the trailers, I haven't watched the whole movie, but our booker has, and it's hilarious. This year, there's only been a few bright spots for the cinemas. Top Gun, Spider-Man, Barbie, as well as the Taylor Swift concert movie, which was a very rare spark that brought out the 18 to 35 age group, which has been the hardest to attract to the cinema. Michelle's been trying to attract business in other ways as well. The cinema has been holding conferences, Xbox parties, theatre productions, but it doesn't seem to be enough. I also spoke to Independent Cinemas Australia. Their CEO, Brett Rosengarten, thinks cinemas are still just feeling the COVID slump and eventually it'll come good, but Michelle isn't so sure. We're very fortunate here in Port Augusta because we do have quite a good following of people, but not enough to keep us going. Does that make sense? There's so many times when I think, I want to give up. In fact, the last 12 months here in Port Augusta, we've just gone backwards and backwards and backwards. And now I'm at the stage where I have to keep going because I've got to pay back what I owe. (laughs) Michelle says the loss of cinemas would have a major impact on regional communities. And we agree. People have met their husbands, their wives. People congregate in the local cinema and where else can kids go i mean during the summertime okay we've got the beach and we've got the pool but not everybody wants to do that and not everybody wants to play sport all the time there is nothing else and that's your weekly news wrap across the spencer golf and surrounds don't forget you can hear iheart spencer golf on the iheart app or wherever you get your podcasts i'm jackie lim join us again next week for more local trusted and free news I heart Spencer Golf.